Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is the 12th of April, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Um, Welcome to those of you listening online at MyFaithRadio.com and those of you listening on the Faith Radio app. Wherever you are in the world, God is sovereign. Wherever you are in the world, we are um, thrilled to be with you in the advance of the gospel right where you are. And our hope and desire, my hope and desire, um, is that God would extend his grace through you today to someone else. And then if you are um, not yet familiar with the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that you would experience it in our time together today. That is, um, that is my heart. And so um, thank you for seeking the mind of Christ together as we uh, desire to be God's people in the world today, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the issues at hand. But at, at the bottom line of all of it, is the question of whether or not you have received Christ as Lord and Savior, whether or not you um, turn to him for who he really is and receive from him what he really offers. Um, And so in in Christ Jesus, God is offering you a restored relationship with himself, the forgiveness of your sins, the promise of heaven, um, but a restored relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you have never looked intently at Jesus, who he is, and what he does for you. This is a week to do that. This is what we call Holy Week. It's the week between Palm Sunday and Easter. And the events of this week, um, you know, is the culmination of the life of Christ on earth. It's not the culmination of the life of Christ. Uh, He still lives. He yet lives. Um, He reigns in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. The first time he came, um, he came to save. The second time he comes, he's coming to judge. And so um, I want you to be found in him when he returns. I want you um, to know who he is as Savior and Lord, the lover of your soul, the one who took upon himself your sin, your sin, the penalty of your sin, that you might not only be freed from the penalty of it in death, but that you might be freed from the power of it in this life. So consider Jesus today. That's my invitation. Consider Jesus today. We are reading the Bible together during uh, Holy Week. You can join us at MyFaithRadio.com. encourage you to do that. Um, And then let me lead off with this before our friend Nick Pitts joins us to survey some of the other headlines of the day. There are thousands, potentially tens of thousands, of dead just in the city of Mariupol, Ukraine. And so as, um, as we turn our attention to the matters of the day, that is chief among them. There would not be papers sufficient to print the obituaries. And so let our hearts uh, go out today to the people charged with the grim task of um, exhuming thousands of bodies in mass graves and on the streets of Mariupol and under 
felled buildings, the process of gathering identification and then burying them um, is a grim task. I want to draw our attention this morning to one obituary. Her name, uh, her name is Mimi Reinhard, and she was 107 years old when she died in Israel um, earlier this week. And you say to yourself, "This seems such a strange, um, such a, a strange thing to be reporting on the death of a 107 year old named Mimi Reinhard." Well, Mimi Reinhard was born Carmen Coppel in Vienna, Austria, in 1915. She moved to Krakow, Poland, before the outbreak of the Second World War. But when Nazi Germany invaded Poland in 1939, because she was Jewish, she was sent to uh, the ghetto, the part of Krakow um, designated for the Jews, and then from there sent to the Platzau concentration camp in 1942. She had a knowledge of shorthand, and that landed her a job in um, in the concentration camp administrative office. Two years later, she was ordered to type up a handwritten list of Jewish names. The list started with uh, Jews who were already known to be working in an ammunition factory, but then names from the concentration camp where she was living were to be added to it, and she was given those names, and then she amended the list to include two of her friends and herself. You and I know that as Schindler's List. Mimi Reinhardt was one of 1,200 Jews who were saved by a German businessman um, after he bribed Nazi authorities to let him keep them as workers in his factories. In 1993, it was turned into a film, Schindler's List, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. And um, Mimi Reinhardt's son says that the film and the aftermath of it um, gave his mother another 15 years of joyful life, something to talk about every day. That God had used something utterly mundane, the typing up of a list, for an extraordinary purpose. Let's be mindful of that today when we are asked to do something utterly mundane in our work. God might have an extraordinary purpose for that work. Mimi Reinhardt, dead at 107. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. joins us again. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Welcome back. Why, hello, Carmen. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Um, if the um, if the line goes dead because it's pouring down rain and I'm in the midst of a terrible thunderstorm, then just carry on without me, okay? As the, as the great Garth Brooks says, the thunder rolls and the lightning strikes, dun, dun, dun. The show will go on. Another sleepless night. Okay, no, I heard I'm a. Just, I have no clue. 
I, I heard a hilarious Garth Brooks. I mean, I, I can't believe you just brought that up. Um, a hilarious Garth Brooks ad yesterday. So I was listening to the radio and I'm driving around and um, and uh, and he's he's accounting, uh, recounting this uh, story. Um, he says to his wife, you know, gosh, these last five songs that I just heard, like these are like five of my favorite songs. This is the greatest radio station ever. And she says, it's the one you programmed. <laughs> anyway. That's funny. <laughs> it's funny to me. About, anyway, okay. You want to talk so, about the yeah. most pure-hearted man? That's him. Yeah, right. He's like, oh, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay. So, um, you and I have both read this um, this study on the effects of divorce on children. Um, the The headline is really staggering. The effect on divorce the the effect of divorce on children is worth worse than death. Um, let's uh, let's let's talk about what this is reporting on. Yeah, what what it's finding is that there was a study that was based on uh, data drawn from 17 countries. It's showing the negative effects of parental divorce on educational attainment. It appears to be stronger for children of higher educated parents because it seems as though higher educated, they're correlating it with a stronger um, with financial and other resources. And and they're finding that there's a steeper drop for kids. Um, But what we've what we're seeing is what we've always known to be true, which is just how detrimental divorce can be for children being uh, fully candid with you all. Um, I am, I come from a divorced family and I can tell you that it was not ideal whatsoever. Um, and it's just a divorce has a significant impact, not only on the two people that are getting a divorce, but also the, the children that are surrounding that as well. Um, but what, um, other research has found is that women household income fell on average by 41% after divorce. Divorced people overall have a much higher suicide rates. Divorced men commit suicide at least eight times the rate of divorced women. But what we've always known to be true, though, is divorce isn't the biblical ideal, but the failing love has a way of revealing unfailing love of God. Yeah, I thought that, um, and thank you for, you know, sharing so personally as well. I think that, um, you know, our personal stories matter a lot, particularly, you know, to listeners who are walking through difficulty of their own. Um, You're not going to hear Nick nor I um, condemn you um, if you are in the midst of a divorce, but you are going to hear us um, plead with you to strive for marriage and strive for the sanctity of marriage. Um, Jim and I, my husband and I, are seeking to redeem marriage for, you know, a generation of his children. Obviously, they're they're not they're not my children in the same way that they are the children of the mothers who brought them into the world. Um, they're mine now, but the effects of divorce and the need to redeem marriage for each and every one of them is real. It's real, mm-hmm. um, and so redeeming marriage for those of us who um, are Christians who are married, like redeeming marriage in the culture, is a big responsibility. And it's a generational mm-hmm. responsibility, um, particularly for young people who didn't grow up um, in a uh, in a home with a mom and a dad who were married to each other. And so, um, you know, so here here Nick and I say today that um, we believe in marriage. We believe in the sanctity of the marriage bed. We believe in um, the good gift of marriage by God, created by God um, for the for the welfare of um, of human life. Yeah, it's for mm-hmm. the affection between the husband and wife. And yes, it's for the uh, the ordering of family life, the birth and nurture of children. Absolutely. Like all of those things are part and parcel 
um, of what marriage is. So let's be students of the model of marriage God gives. Let's look forward to the marriage um, promised to us in heaven um, as as a part of the very bride of Christ. Like marriage is more. Marriage is so much more um, than what you think you're getting out of it as an individual. Yeah, I completely agree, Carmen. And what this research just continues to tell us is that the warnings that Jesus had uh, and the admonitions of Jesus of wanting to avoid divorce at all costs, unless, of course, relative to abuse and spousal evil, et cetera, um, that there's that there's wisdom to that, that God's not, God has not given us commands that are burdensome to us, according to First John 2, but rather lead us into the fullness of life. And what this research continues to show is that, one, there's a not ideal way. But again, for because uh, with your audience and just the reality of the numbers right now, the number of individuals that are uh, that have either been divorced or are getting a divorce, et cetera, that, that ideal has just not been met. But what we always know to be true is that the God, we, the same God that turns water into wine can redeem bad situations for the glory and the good of his name and the joy of souls. And so for listeners out there that have gone through it or are going through it, know that God can work in powerful ways. But if you're going through it and haven't followed through with it, try, try, try to figure out a way to, if possible, reconcile. Amen. Amen. All right, Nick Pitts and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're going to have a conversation about old-time religion. Is there some new old-time religion around? Yep, yeah, pretty much there is. We'll be right back. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? It is uh, Holy Week, and we want... um, to draw attention to the cross of Christ, to the sacrifice he made there for each and all. Um, So don't lose sight of that. Um, One of the conversations of the day happening in the culture is around the influence of evangelical Christians, um, particularly in the political sphere. So Nick Pitts is here. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Um, Nick, you and I have, um, again, we've both read some pieces about, um, well, what at least one writer describes as fundamentalism. It's a little bit, that's a little bit of a shifty term. Um, But the influence of evangelical Christians in the culture and when that really began to take shape and what it looks like today. Do you want to read people in on this? Yeah. So uh, Diana Butler Bass has uh, come out with a new post called New Old Time Religion. And Carmen, I can't help but tell you, like when I was reading it, I, I, I was very much reminiscing on my times growing up in Cookville, Tennessee, at, um, at a local church there in that town, because we've always known that there's nothing new underneath the sun. And this reemergence of the blurring of lines between church and state and Christians getting involved in political matters is nothing new. I can vividly remember uh, voter cards being handed out that just so happened to select every issue that was Republican being on one side and uh, just seemed as though Republicans perfectly aligned with um, with the Christian faith. I can remember seeing the uh, Christian flag standing next to the American flag on the on the uh, podium where the pulpit was. There's always been this emerging between the two. And yet again, what Bass is pointing, Dr. Bass is pointing out is that there is uh, there is an, 
a newness that's coming in, but also an oldness of what was once we're rediscovering this old time Christian religion that merges faith and politics. Yeah, I'm, I'm even, um, I'm just reading an op-ed um, just even today about, you know, events that are GOP events um, where, you know, they're, they're led by Christians and those Christians are praying in Jesus' name and there are people of other faiths present. Um, and that confusion is troubling to some people that at a political event, um, the the opening prayer and or the closing prayer, which curious that those are taking place in some of these environments anyway, um, you see the challenge, right? It's not just the blurring of the lines at church or by church people. It's the blurring of the lines in in political meetings where, you know, we live in a pluralistic culture and we ought not assume that everyone shares our faith. In fact, as Christians, we know better. Oh, yeah. I mean, it really is. I mean, I, I don't know if any of your listeners have probably watched Christmas Vacation, but it's perfectly personified um, what we're talking about in the character of Aunt Bethany. Aunt Bethany, when she's given the chance to say a prayer before the meal, um, everyone bows their heads and she starts to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, <laughs> you know, mm. like that's that's what that's what we have. Like many of uh, I've been to many of uh, gatherings on uh, on in the conservative side of things that have opened up with a hymn or, like you said, a prayer. And again, it, it, I think we worship a God that there are clear boundaries. I think, um, and when we cross those boundaries, when the water, um, when God made the, to separate the water from the land, when he separated the night from the day, when those boundaries are mixed, bad things can happen. And so it's not saying that we shouldn't engage in politics and we shouldn't engage in the public square. But it has, says that we should remember our, our primary identity. We're not going in as um, uh, using religion to achieve a political end, but rather we're seeing politics as a way to achieve the religious end, which is to love our neighbor and to glorify our God. Yeah, I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of folks who are going to communicate um, with me on on this conversation. And so let me just encourage you guys, uh, if you Google new old time religion, you're going to come across the article that um, that Nick and I are referencing. Um, and it is an opportunity, I think, for us to critically think through who we are as Christians, the culture in which we live, um, and whether or not, as Christians, we are seeking to be um, influences in the culture where we are bringing about um, an awareness of God's presence and God's will, or whether or not we are assuming that um, that we live in a place that is dominated by Christian principles, which if we pay attention at all, we just know that that's just not true. So an opportunity for positive public witness without the blurring of lines between that which is uh, church and that which is um, uh, not church, which is culture. All right. Um, Nick, we're out of time today, but um, I would uh, love to circle back with you in the future on some other developing stories across the country. Um, thank you so much, as always, for being with us. We, we love our time with you. So great to be with you, Carmen, and you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, you too. That's Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. And for those of you asking, uh, no, he's not a pastor. He could be, but he's not. Um, he works in the oil industry. There you go. All right. Um, we got to take a very uh, brief pause. When we come back, we are going to be talking with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. We're going to cover some international headlines with Nick. But first, upwards with Max Lucado. Old time 
religion, give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. The nice guest So when you look around the world um, and you say to yourself, um, wow, there is a lot of disruption. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of anger. I mean, I I was stunned to learn that um, the Postal Service has suspended um, actually delivering the mail in one part of Santa Monica, California, because their postal workers are like, have been under assault by a local individual known to the police, but the the police haven't gone out and got the guy. Um, or the numbers in Chicago related to uh, not just violence, but gun violence and gun death. Like, we're, I mean, crime is rampant in some communities uh, in the United States of America. Um, when we look around, we survey what's going on. Let me ask this. Is it too much to hope to rest in peace. When you think about resting in peace, like right, does like Halloween images? Do those come to mind? That little R.I.P. When we talk about resting in peace. We're talking about um, leaving a body undisturbed. Um, and so um, Joseph's tomb. Yes, Joseph, as in Joseph of the Old Testament. Joseph. Joseph's tomb is in uh, a community uh, called Nablu. It is in the occupied West Bank. And it was attacked in a what the Israeli prime minister described as a frenzy of destruction. It's just a part of what's going on right now um, in Israel. Um, there's a lot of violence in the Holy Land, and we're going to talk about that next with Luke Moon. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. The wise men will bow down before the throne, and at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns. When the man comes around. Luke Moon is back. You can find him at the Philos Project. You can also find him at Providence Magazine or on Twitter at Luke Moon One. Luke, good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. So. I'm well. I am well. I am well. Um, earlier today, we uh, we shared the information about Mimi Reinhardt um, and her obituary. She is the woman who, um, uh, in the context of a concentration camp, typed up what we all know as Schindler's List, um, and her testimonies later in life related to that um, pretty powerful. She was 107. She died in Israel just recently, um, but her um, her thoughts um, about Yad Vashem took me back immediately to that place. So can you just remind people, I mean, in the context of what's going on in the world, it is important to remember the horrors of the past um, and what real atrocities look like. So can you just tell people what Yad Vashem is um, and maybe take us there for a moment? Yeah, Yad Vashem is the the Israeli uh, Holocaust Memorial, and uh, it is it's it's almost shaped like an like an arrow and uh you walk through you kind of weave through the story of how 
the the attitudes of the Nazis. The you know the the thing with genocide and persecution it doesn't just start with it doesn't start with with violence. It doesn't start with guns. It actually starts with you know the dehumanization. Those those cockroaches. Those they're they're not human. I mean, there's a I, I, at the early stages of as you're weaving through the history and how it came to to happen. You know, there's this whole um, you know Hitler uh, is is standing with with priests and they're talking about the problem of the Jews and that, you know, they don't convert. And, and then you have things like board games, even that are, that say, you know, Jews go back to Palestine, which is, which is hilarious because now it's like Jews get out of Palestine, but nonetheless, I mean, you have this and, and then it, you know, as it, we all know the history of, the Holocaust and six million Jews, uh, you know, in a, in a very systematic way, being killed, um, and and the 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 beauty of the Yad Vashem though is it comes out in and it overlooks the city of Jerusalem, and it's a it's a really a statement of the the Nazis didn't win, right? And and the reality is for the for the Jewish people is that. You know, they say this at Purim, which is the, you know, the the time of the year when they remember when they read the Book of Esther, right? And under, you know, in in the Book of Esther, there is an attempt to completely destroy the Jews, and that is something that that I think it goes all the way back. I think the world has an irrational hatred for the Jewish people because the Jews were the people by which God brought His moral revelation into this world, and the world hates them for it. Right. And it's also the reason that I put anti-Semitism in the same place that I put my other first principles. Right. Because we wouldn't know that hatred is wrong, that that hatred of of races was wrong unless we had that moral revelation that told us it was wrong. Right. We have there's there's this whole understanding, heck, like, you know, the basis of human rights, the basis of Western civilization, the the concept of of nations versus empires and civil disobedience. I mean, you have civil disobedience at, in which, you know, the gods, if you will, were were affirming of the civil disobedience was was in no other uh, ancient tradition. It's only found in the Bible, right? You have Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Uh, being being affirmed by God for for not bowing to to the hell. You have the the midwives of uh, in the beginning of of Exodus who also uh, are are being blessed by God because they're not killing the baby boys of the Hebrews, right? So you have this affirmation of civil disobedience that we carry today in our you know in the zeitgeist of America, and that isn't that, that's. That comes nowhere else than from the Hebrew Scripture, and, and I think there's there's a you know there's a deeper conflict going on in the world right now. Um, obviously, there's lots of conflict, but this one in which uh, there's this there's this really irrational hatred of Jewish people, and that's why I, I think it's important for Christians to not only recognize that, but also to stand. Um, with with Jewish friends and neighbors, even if they 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 don't uh, profess Jesus, as most of them don't, uh, I think it's they still carry uh, that that 
that recognition that they were they were the people by which God chose to bring his truth. And I think it's important that we stand with them. Okay, so talk about that. I know it's not on our list of things to talk about today, but I know that you— um can very adeptly do this because there are opportunities to like literally stand with our Jewish neighbors. Talk about um, a recent event in New York um, and then how, you know, a Philo's friend stood with, demonstrated solidarity with um, Jewish neighbors. Right. Actually, so, so there's been, I mean, sadly, in the last two weeks here in the in the New York area, there has been three incidents of anti-Semitism in which, you know, a Jewish person was walking down the street and would be beat up. Um, and they, and the, and it's not like, and they, they look Jewish, meaning they have the kippah, the thing on the head, they have the, you know, they're, they're dressed like, like Orthodox Jewish people and they get attacked. And in each of the incidences, we had somebody, uh, a, a, a friend of Philos and a, and a person that is a member of what we call the Philos Action League is uh, uh, goes to the site where the incident occurred uh, and brings uh, a bouquet of white roses uh, and in a in a card that says we as Christians stand in friendship and solidarity with Jewish people and the 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 white rose is important because there was a group of of young professionals and college students in the 40s, in the early 40s, that started a, a, a thing called the White Rose Campaign. And it was to expose the, the, what was happening uh, with, in, in, to the Nazis, uh, to, or, you know, by the Nazis to the German people and to, you know, the fact that they were killing Jews and the fact that they were, you know, destroying the economy of, of Germany and sending, you know, millions of soldiers to their death. And and these these young people were like, this is enough. We got to stand against this. And so we we picked up their the spirit of the white rose and and uh, go in and stand in solidarity. And and we just uh, even yesterday uh, there was there's there's two Jews who uh, were attacked this weekend in in New Jersey, and we had uh, members of the Philos Action League go. And uh, and to the site of of the atrocity and and uh, stand in solidarity. And the, the the thing is that I think important, Carmen, is that I think people are really tired of social media declarations, right? I mean, it's nice and all, but it's it's easy, too easy. And I think people become like in kind of numb to it because it's just so easy to do, kind of thing. And I think. What I'm I'm hoping to tap into is the people that are tired of social media declarations and hashtag activism and want to actually physically show up and show their support. And um, so we launched the Philos Action League in in December, and uh, sadly we've had we've had in a an opportunity to uh, do something every week uh, since the beginning mm-hmm. of February. Which is which is terrible in one degree, but I'm I'm very right. happy. I'm very happy that the, that in we've we've been able to have somebody show up and say, no, we we're different. We we're Christians, and we we stand with the Jewish people. All right. So if you want to check this out, philosproject.org backslash action. 
Philos Project is P H I L O S. If you guys uh, want the link directly, just text me um, anything at 877-933-2484, and I'll send you back the link for the Philos Action League um, where you can learn more and get involved. Um, I'm in it. I'll just go ahead and disclose that. I am a member of the Philos Action League and have already made um, connection with the Jewish community where I live so that I'm ready to stand in solidarity with them, um, God forbid, if and when something happened you know, in my community where I live. Um, talk with us a little bit about what's going on in Israel right now. Um, lots of, we are just hearing about lots of violence. We know it's Holy Week. We also know it's Ramadan. Um, give us a sense of what you know about what's happening in Israel. Yeah, well, I mean, there's two things one happening. One is there's been a there's been a uh, a series of terrorist attacks in which, uh, and usually often has been targeting the Tel Aviv area, in which gunmen have opened fire. Uh, last Thursday night, which is which is kind of their Friday night, um, there was a there was a terrorist attack that left uh, uh, three people dead uh, and and scores of wounded. Um, and you know this has led to you know the government of Israel is not doing well as a result. I mean, some of the coalition members, it's a you know parliamentary system, and some of the coalition members are not happy and are. And one has left, uh, particularly the the coalition whip. So it's kind of an important position. Uh, I would say what we're seeing here is really the response by by the you know violent people, if you will, towards the Abraham Accords, right? Because the Abraham Accords was this is this deal between the Israelis and the the Arabs, not and and you know. In each, in every situation in the world in which there has been an attempt to bridge a gap, to have a new message, whether it was, you know, India under under Gandhi, or or the South under Martin Luther King, or uh, South Africa under Mandela, there was always these factions on the side that that saw that that in a sense peace was coming, and they didn't want it to happen. And so they mm. they did violent acts. There was, I mean, in South Africa, there was there was militant blacks and militant whites. Both were trying to kind of jack up the peace process. And what we're what we're seeing now is there's this ember of peace where where other Arab nations are recognizing that Israel is is there to stay, and and um, and there's a bunch of people that. Uh, you know, particularly groups like Hamas and Islamic Jihad and and other Islamists that are saying, you know, we don't want that, and and uh, as a result, they're carrying out these terrorist attacks. And my hope is that, you know, like in those other places I mentioned, the the marginalization of the violent people will 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 ultimately uh, th- they'll be broken, and and. Peace will will actually take hold, like it has in those places that I mentioned before. We're talking with Luke Moon from the Philos Project, um, and we're going to return and talk about what's happening both on the Korean Peninsula, um, and then uh, have a conversation, a worldview conversation about China, Ukraine, and the Western Soul. All that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, the old rugged cross, so despised. By the world 
as a Continuing our conversation with Luke Moon from the Philos Project. Luke, let's talk a little bit about the increased tension on the Korean Peninsula. What's going on? Well, um, last week, the North Korea put out a video of the of Kim Jong Un, who is who is walking in front of this giant uh, rocket launcher, right? And then uh, the, there was a hotel that was at a resort in which South Koreans and North Koreans could meet at, right? And it was kind of a reconciliation or unity kind of hotel, if you will. And um, North Korea has decided to demo it, right? Because it's like, you know, Kim Jong-un says it's it's ugly and it's, it's shabby, uh, but it really, I think, is more of the fact that, that um, you know, the... Kim Jong Un is is seeing the opportunity to put himself back in the uh, limelight of the world's media, and I think uh, you know is is kind of you know making making waves so that he you know he can he can uh, be famous again. I think that's what's happening. Yeah. So um, demolishing a hotel um, is can be a sign. And I yeah. think that, you know, when we are looking at what people are doing, that's a that's an interesting development on the Korean Peninsula. Talk with us um, uh, about China. Talk with us about Ukraine and the Western soul. You and I um, have read a piece, you know, where someone is trying to unpack this. And I, I for me, Luke, the the thing that I hope people begin to understand is that worldview really does matter. And what we are seeing um, play out in Ukraine is a deeply worldview conflict. Well, it is. And, I mean, there really is, I mean, there's a lot of kind of worldview undercurrents here. I think one of the things that the that the writer of the piece was curious about, you know, was, was you know, this this area of individualism versus collectivism, right, in which you had the, the idea being that China was a, more of a collectivist nation, right? And and how that has eroded uh, a large part due to you know the obsession with with materialism uh, that you know if there is no if there's no if there's no God, right? And that's the you know at the core of the communist ideology. Then you don't have like you don't have anything deeper to strive for than your own personal pleasure at any given moment, right? It becomes very hedonistic. And, and as a result, like you have this shift from in China, from, from collectivism where they saw themselves, we are collect, you know, more of a, in, in the kind of Asian framework, a collectivist people into more individualist. And then the other thing that you have is, and this happened is happening in Ukraine. Is this tension between the internationalist and the na- the the nationalist, if you will, right? Because the world is celebrating the fact that uh, there is this, you know, the the Ukrainians are taking up arms like as a people, right? Like you know, the people who had no business being in in the military and. And uh, their, their president, you know, I mean, their president is a good example, right? I mean, there's a perfect. comedian as the president, perfect example. And man, has yep. he turned out to be 
not only a lover of his nation, but a great defender of it. Right. And so you have the, 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 the internationalists, which is the group that usually is like super focused on, let's have the UN do stuff and NATO do stuff. And, and, and the, in the, the internationalists are, are sitting on the sidelines because they're afraid of nuclear war, which is good. But the, the people themselves in Ukraine are standing up and, and defending their nation, and the language is very nationalist. So you have this weird, this weird thing, Carmen, where you have the, the people who are normally the internationalists are suddenly very pro-nationalist, right? They just don't like American nationalists, right? But they're, they're totally supporting the, the, like the nationalist ideas that are on display in Ukraine right now, right? And I think it, um, you know, a lot of this, you know, the, the talk about, you know, the impact of, of Ukraine on China's ambitions towards Taiwan, I mean, that there was expectation and not a little bit of expectation that, you know, after the Olympics or during the Olympics, China would invade Taiwan and Russia would invade Ukraine, and that we were going to have, you know, a two-front issue, a two-front war. We're going to have to figure out what we're going to do about all that, and and in Ukraine smashing it, or sorry, Russia smashing against Ukraine and seeing defeat, so, you know, trying to take uh, Kiev and failing. Trying to take the eastern flank. I read an article yesterday that the you know the invasion uh, on the east was was repulsed by the Ukrainian forces. That's huge, and the, you know there's there's um, and and so Taiwan looks at that and goes, oh, you know it's it, maybe maybe we should uh, try a different. You know, maybe she will wait on this, right? Because their military is in the, has the same problem as as the Russian one, right? Because they've never put their forces to, to the test on on you know on the battlefield, and you know Taiwan, Ukraine is flat and great for you know uh, tanks, whereas Taiwan's mountainous, and uh, you know it's that type of stuff. You know, just the the reality of the what's happening on the ground. I think it shakes up. You know, to to our point earlier about the hashtag activism. What we're seeing is, you know, is this, uh, you know, the the virtual mentality, the ID, identity politics stuff, smashing up against against uh, reality, right? And that's that's always the hope. I think as Christians, we look at, at what's happening, not just in China and Ukraine, but around the world and our own nation, and the the lack of reality men thinking that people have, and they have to realize that, that uh, we actually worship the God that is prime reality, and I think it's important for us to, to realize that that you know reality is going to win out ultimately. Uh, and that's a good thing. That is a good thing. There's a couple of articles I want you guys to read at ProvidenceMag.com. Um, there is a piece there on the Russian-Ukraine war and asking the question, is it the start of World War III? There's another piece, Russia-Ukraine, from a moral 
realist approach. Encourage you to read both of those at ProvidenceMag.com. Luke, as always, thanks so much and um, happy Easter. Likewise. That's Luke Moon. You can find him at the Philos Project. You can also find him at Providence Mag, ProvidenceMag.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Yeah, do you feel like your world is shaking? What do you do? Um, what do you do as you read the headline news? What do you do as you turn to the events of the day? Um, let me encourage you to find yourself at the center of the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ passes all understanding. Um, it is the secret of being content in all circumstances. And people don't need um, just another piece of our mind. They do need, and we need, the peace of Christ. So what would it look like for you and I to give that to others today? Not Let's not give people a peace of our mind. Let's give people the very peace of Christ. What might that look like in your life today? We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We are going to uh, do our Holy Week reading together and our reading the Bible together. If you're not signed up, do so at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll also talk with Dr. Brett Nix. And then John Belcher with Cold Civil War. We're going to actually talk about getting beyond the things that divide us as Americans. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.